You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. This morning we're going to do one of the classic Bible verses, one of those Bible verses that you have probably at some point in your life memorized, one that I certainly memorized, one that's been very useful to me in my spiritual walk with God, and that's Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. And here it is, and let's just stand up and say the verse together. We can read it off the screen. We'll say it twice, because this is one of a, a verse I want to go into that deep down into your skull. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One more time. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Father in heaven, we thank you that your son loved us and gave himself for us. We thank you that it is no longer ourself that lives, but Christ who lives in us. And now as we come to see your word, we come to understand this, give us enlightenment through the power of the Holy Spirit. Open our spiritual ears, open our spiritual eyes, help me to speak plainly and clearly and help an understanding of your word to grow today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Okay, so Galatians 2.20, it's, it's one of those uh, verses. And why did he write it? Why did Paul come and write this verse that has been part of the Christian walk since he wrote it? Well, the Galatians had a problem. They had an external re- uh, view of religion. They were hyper-religious. They always wanted to have more brownie points, do this, do that, add a bit of Judaism in here, a bit of there. And they were always looking on the outer man. And this way they became a bit pharisaical and they were, had a little score sheet. Oh, you're spiritual. No, you're not spiritual. And they were always biting and devouring one another. There was conflict. There was fleshly reactions. They were not walking in the spirit. They were walking on the flesh. And it was all performance-based Christianity. And that tends to sneak in, you know. We tend to say, oh, well, I did really good today. I had my quiet time. I did this. I helped a little old lady across the road. You know, tick. Right? And we tend to get into performance-based Christianity. And we make it everything that we're doing, everything that other people can see us do. So if we're asked to do this down the front of the church or something, oh, today is wonderful. You know, they have a, lots of credit points for doing that, going down the front of the church. And we need to get rid of that, right? We need to realise that it's not about we do what we do on the outside, but rather it's who we are on the inside, whether Christ is in us and living out through us. So what was his solution? Paul goes through the whole book of Galatians saying, it's faith, not works. It's spirit, not flesh. It's internal religion, not external. It's Christ's life, not my life. And it's reliance on the grace and the love of God. So that's the context we've got here. Okay, there are seven things. I'm going to spend most of the time in this sermon on this one slide. There are seven things the Christian dies to. And as you get to 
to understand what this is, it will change your ability to live the Christian life. It will make it a lot, lot easier. You'll find yourself less tempted, more in control, more able to get through life, and a lot happier and more joyful. The first things that we die to is sin. In Romans 6, verse 11, it says, Reckon your... Let's look at that verse. Let's get your Bibles out. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. And this is a, was a breakthrough verse for me as a young Christian. Okay. Romans 6, verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what does it mean to be dead to sin? Well, when I'm a very heavy sleeper, and people say that I am dead to the world when I am asleep. It means the world has no effect upon me, and you can bang a drum, you can put out the lawnmower, it's fine, I am dead to the world when I'm asleep. So when you're dead to sin, sin does not have any pull on you anymore. So when you have a sin that you're troubled with, it might be temper, it might be lust, it might be uh, criticism, it might be fear. You say, I am dead to that sin. I, I am dead to it. It will no longer affect me anymore. And you reckon yourselves dead to sin. In other words, you just keep saying this. I am dead to that sin. I am dead to my critical spirit. I am, critical words are not going to come out of my mouth anymore. And you reckon yourselves dead to it. And you know what? It soon goes away. You will break the power of that habitual sin in your life when you declare by faith that you are dead to that sin. Right? It might be, you say, I, uh, you're dead to lust, or you're, you're dead to greed, or you're dead to materialism. You declare yourself dead to sin. And, and all I can say is go and try it because it actually works. That sin that you really can't get out of, that thought pattern that you can't get out of, uh, you just declare yourself dead to sin. To sin. The next thing we're dead to is ourselves. We take up our cross and we follow Jesus. And he, and you know all those verses in the Gospels, uh, he who loses his life for my sake will find it, and so on and so forth. And, and Colossians puts it very well. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Yep, 3, verses 1 to 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not things on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let me skip a, a couple of slides ahead. Here, uh, here we are. Okay, your old self has died. It, it was crucified with Christ. Spiritually speaking, the old John Edmiston is well and truly dead and buried and has been crucified with Christ and my new self, my real self, is alive and is seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. So how, how do I know that? How, how could I sense that? Well, you, there, there are two people called you. There's two people called I. There are two John Edmistons. There's John Edmiston in the mirror who sins and who was alive in the flesh. And there's John Edmiston in heaven, who has died and is seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. Now, how do I know that? Well, if you killed me, in this instance, if someone shot me or some terrible thing happened and I dropped dead, I would instantly 
be in heaven with Christ. To be out of the body is to be with the Lord. And I would have no desire to sin once I got to heaven. Because sin is in the flesh. Sin dwells in the flesh. Once my flesh is gone, the dwelling of sin in me is gone. And my real self is revealed. I go up in heaven. I'm before the Lord. I worship him. I do not sin anymore. The body of flesh is done away with. That's my real self. My real self is the eternal self. The self that you see, the self that Minda sees, the self that I see in the mirror, that's a, that's a temporary thing. Right? So what, what I know of myself on a personality test or something like that, that self is temporary. That, is, that self is actually dead. Right? So that self is going away. That self is perishing. Uh, and my real self is Christ in me, the hope of glory, the self that is perfect and sinless. You have a part of you that is actually sinless. And I know that seems really hard to believe. But Christ in you is born of God, and what is, what is born of God does not sin. So your real self, your truest of true selves that hates the sin you get caught up in, that self is sinless. And when you go up to heaven and you find your real self, you'll find out that you really didn't want to sin. Right? When you get up to heaven, you'll find out that the real self, if you're born again, your real self is sinless. Your true nature is sinless. Your eternal self is sinless. You're not going to go up into heaven and have sin, right? You know that, right? And that's your real self. The, the one that you're going to be for the rest of all eternity, for millions and millions of years, is sinless. And so there's part of you now that's sinless, and it's fighting against the bit of you that wants to sin. You experience that. There wouldn't be any struggle in sin if your true self was a sinner, right? So you've died, and you've been seated with Christ in heavenly realms, and you're no longer thinking about the things of this earth. You, the old you, is dead. It's been nailed to the cross with Christ. Now, that's something you can only know by faith. I can show you all the logic now, but once you believe that your old self is dead and your real self is eternal, then prayer gets a lot easier because... That's the real you. The praying you is the real you. Right? And hanging on to this world gets uh, you say, why, why bother? <laughs> so you, once you realize, once you change your spiritual identity and you realize that you are an ascended being, you're a multidimensional spiritual being. You live in this dimension and that dimension simultaneously. Right? Uh, and, and that is hard to comprehend. Right? You are not of this world. You are just passing through to your true home, which is in glory. Uh, and so you need to grasp that you belong with the angels. You belong before the throne of God. That's where you really want to be, deep, deep down. And when you have a great service, when you're really caught up in worship, when it re God really breaks through, you know that. You know that. God speaks it to you, and you know that you're meant for eternity. When God really shows up and turns up and goes, boom, you go, oh, why am I bothered? Well, you know, why do I go to work? God's so good, you know? But we're here. We have to work, and it's all part of our spiritual formation, getting patient and all that. So let's go back to the previous slide. Uh, we're dead to ourselves. We're dead to our old selves, Romans 6, 5 to 7. Uh, we've died in baptism and risen again. We're dead to the flesh and its desires. Galatians 5, 24. 
Galatians, Corinthians. This Bible's getting battered. Uh, Galatians 5:24. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's something called the flesh. The flesh is opposed to the spirit. And when you, it's like forward gear and reverse gear. Let's go back in that same chapter to Galatians 5, 16 to 18. Okay. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And it goes the works of the, the flesh, and then the, the fruit of the spirit. So when you are in the spirit, when you're doing what Jesus wants, you're going in forward gear. You're being led of the Spirit, you're filled with the Spirit, you're in the Spirit, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But when you're in the flesh, you're in reverse gear, and you're doing envying, strife, jealousy, dissensions, wrath, etc. So you got that's reverse gear. Flesh is reverse gear, the Spirit is forward gear, you're making spiritual progress. Now, you, As you're driving a car, you can't be in forward gear and reverse gear at the same time. Right? So the Spirit is in one direction, the flesh is in the other. You've got to decide which way you're going, and that's your will decides whether you're in the Spirit or in the flesh. So when you're, he who walks by the Spirit cannot fulfill the desires of the flesh because you're in forward gear. You can't be in reverse at the same time. Right? So the trick is to be filled with the Spirit on a daily basis. Get up in the morning and say, Lord, fill me with the Spirit and cause me to walk in the Spirit. And then that, the Spirit will put to death the lust of the flesh. You are, the, you are crucified to the flesh and all its desires. So, so verse 24, we are, who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And the Galatians were full of envying one another and striving with one another and competing with one another for religious positions and religious offices. All this biting and devouring. And no, that's because they were in the flesh. They were not in the spirit. And because they were in the flesh, they were making reverse spiritual progress to the point where Paul says, I am in travail with you all over again. You've gone backwards so far, you've almost popped out of the Christian faith. Right? So I've been in the flesh for too long. We need to put that flesh away. We need to say we're dead to all that nonsense. We are crucified with Christ. We're not going into all that rubbish of envying and provoking one another. We're going to walk in the Spirit, and we're going to have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. So you get up in the morning, say, Lord Jesus, fill me with the Holy Spirit today. Because Jesus is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. He's the one that fills us with the Spirit. So... Do you want to be in forward gear or reverse gear? Do you want your flesh to be in control or, or whatever? Now, the, part, the key is our imagination, right? Because our imagination wants to go to pretty dark places pretty quickly. We feel threatened. Our ego gets hit. But that person is annoying us, and all we can do is think about the person that's annoying us. All we can think about is that person at work that criticises us. Or the headmaster at school that put us down if you're a teacher or, or someone or something and there's a conflict in our life and our life spins around the person that we're jealous of or envious of or resentful of. And soon you go to a dark, dark place. You're, suddenly you're in the flesh because you felt that threat and you're reacting to that threat in a wrong way. 
And as we fill our, ma- our picture theatre in our mind, we fi- picture the image-making place in us, and it starts to get filled with resentment and rage and, and contention and strife. Uh, and uh, why, is, why, is, why did she get the nice-looking guy? Why didn't I get the nice-looking guy? And so on and so forth. And around we go with the, the, the little imaginary theatre we've got. So that image-making, uh, imagination, has to be fixed on the spirit. And it says in Romans 8, verses 4 to 6, For the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, but the mind set on the flesh is death. Right? So when you set your mind on the flesh, you go into that spiritual pattern that is called death, you go into reverse gear, and you've got to get that junk out of your head fast. You've got to take out all those resentful thoughts. Now I'll give you uh, the four R's. Resolve, resent, reject, revenge. If you don't resolve, an in, a, 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 resolve, resent, reject, revenge. If you don't resolve an issue, it becomes a resentment. And you start, mm-hmm, I don't like them. Mm-hmm, right? We go to that place where we're resentful. You know? And so the resentment, after you resent someone for long enough, and I forgive them, I think, <laughs> right? What happens? You stop talking to them, don't you? You reject them. You mightn't say, I reject them, but you go into the rejection phase, and I, I, I don't feel like talking to them today. No. You get the huff, right? You're in rejection phase. You've got the huff. Uh, and then if you stay in that rejection phase for long enough, you get to the point, well, I think I need to tell Pastor Ken about them. Whatever. You get into revenge phase, don't you? You've decided that you'll just say a little word. I have a prayer point about so-and-so. And, and you have moved from rejection into revenge. And God says don't take revenge because it takes you into a dark spiritual place where you don't want to be. Right? So as soon as you become aware of resentment in your heart, resolve it. Resolve it before God. Resolve it with your friend. Resolve it with your family member. Right? All those big family disputes that people have with their second cousins, third husbands, whatever, whatever. And you're not talking to them anymore because of so-and-so at the last Thanksgiving. Right? You need to sort them out. It's difficult to do that, but you need to sort them out because resentment takes you to bad places. And you've got to die to resentment. If you've got to say, I die to resentment. I'm not going to live in the flesh. I'm going to live in the spirit. I'm going to have a sweet and gentle heart. I'm going to have a good inside spiritual condition. I'm not going there anymore. I will forgive and forget before the Lord because I'm a heavenly creature, not an earthly creature. Right? We're not going to behave like people on the Maury show, are we? We're not going to be reality TV contestants who are going... Right. That's not the Christian life, right? Okay, and the test says, blah, blah, blah. We are not going into that world of tabloid, you know, spiritual terrorism, yeah? where it's, it's just tearing our souls up for the sake of self-importance and letting our stuff come out. So we're not going there. We dies, we're going to die to the flesh and its desires. Galatians 6.14, next chapter over. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ for whom the world has been crucified to be an eye to the world. Does this mean we all become monks? No, it does not. Right? 
Dying to the world is dying to the cosmic system of worldly powers, pride, pomp, and circumstance. Doesn't mean you give up your job and you become a friar or a monk or rush off to Ghana and become a missionary. Dying to the world is dying to worldliness, to the pride of life. To, I have to have a better car than my neighbour. I have to have better granite countertops than my sister-in-law. I have to have this and I have to have that so that the world determines your identity. So the status is everything and status in this world is everything and being one notch up from them or them is all you're about, right? That's the worldly way of thinking and it's stinking thinking. Uh, it takes us into competition, it takes us into envy, it takes us into strife, it takes us into places that we don't want to go. Now it's okay if God's blessed you and you've got a nice house, a nice car and all these kind of things. That's fine as long as you don't develop a worldly mentality where it's all about winning the race in this life. You've heard the saying, he who dies with the most toys wins. Right? That's worldly mentality. All the backbiting we see in politics, that's worldly mentality. Hollywood, worldly mentality. You know, the people have got to have the right genes or else they're hopelessly, you know, if I don't have those genes, then that's the end of my life kind of thing. That's worldly mentality. We don't go there. We don't want that in our life. And so we are crucified to the world and the world to us. And Paul would only boast in Jesus. He didn't boast in being an apostle. He didn't boast in uh, any wealth he came across. He didn't boast in this or that or the other. And that's hard. We has just boasted in Jesus Christ. Next, we're crucified to religious taboos. Now, let's go to Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. Let's pop over to Colossians, chapter 2. Now, this is actually quite complicated. Okay, but we'll read the verses. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world... Why is there living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men? These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom uh, in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but have no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Okay. Uh, and this is, verse 20 says, Therefore, if you died with Christ, to what? To the basic principles of the world. The basic religious principles. So uh, there are people that it's is that better? Yeah. Okay. Right. There's just uh, a volume thing there. Okay. Uh, so religious taboos uh, uh, have sometimes take over our life. Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do the other. Da, 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 and they're always enslaved to the latest religious idea that comes along. Don't handle, don't touch, don't this, don't that. And it's all about religious performance. Now, there's a Greek word here called stoichia. Stoichia, if you've done some chemistry, they talk about stoichiometry or measured out things. So the thing in this is uh, we have a little measure here and a little, a little measure there. The A, B, Cs, the one, two, threes of religion. So people are trapped in these narrow religious rules. And we see this in cults uh, where, oh, you can't watch TV or you can't do this or you can't do that. 
and the cults take over their life. But we are dead to the elementary principles of fearful religion. Uh, I uh, used to like Greek poetry and there's a, I opened up one of these books and the first, I think it was a Celsius or something like that, and, and the first thing was, don't play the pan pipes at noon because that will awake the god Pan from his slumber and he will put a curse on you. Right? And I'm going like, that's a religious taboo. Right? And, and the Greek world was full of them. Uh, and when I was worked among the Gogodala people in Papua New Guinea, the uh, women uh, before Christ had to wear long bamboo baskets that went the length of their body to keep away the demons from dead relatives. And they had to wear it for nine months after the death of a relative. And because the tribe was big and they had many relatives in the clan, the women were nearly always wearing these long bamboo things to keep out the demons. And of course, when Christ came into their life, when the missionaries came, they learned about Christ, they learned about their freedom from taboos and religions, and the cane baskets went away and they had freedom. Now, we mightn't have something as as external as the uh, cane baskets of the Gogodala tribe, but our mind can be imprisoned in religious fear. We can feel that, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that. Now, I'm not saying you can go out and sin, but I am saying that you don't need to be, re 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 you don't need to be leading a life of religious terror and fear. Oh, if, if I don't turn up at this festival on that day, or if I don't pray in this way or that, or I didn't say my prayers well enough today, I didn't quite use the right word, so God's going to smite me. Now, that's not the way of it, right? God, you are under grace, you're not under works, and you've died to religious taboos. And finally, you've died to the Jewish law. We are no longer under the Old Testament law. You can eat pork, you can eat shellfish, you can have your lechon, right? All that kind of stuff. And I'm not getting into the dinner go on debate. Right? Uh, but that, that we are dead to the Jewish law. Okay, and we, it, it, we, have, we are alive with Christ and we are dead to the Jewish law and all its rules and regulations. And some of those rules and regulations are very strict. So... That has gone away. We don't have to observe Jewish laws and regulations. Now, in some quarters, there's a, a, a sort of quasi-Christian thing going on. Oh, you should ob observe the Jewish feast. You should eat kosher and all that. That is not in line with the teaching of Galatians. Right? We are dead to the Jewish law. If you want to eat kosher, fine, eat kosher. But, you, but to say that will make you more spiritual or make you more religious... That is not true. Because you have died to that and you're alive in Christ and it doesn't matter what you're eating. Jesus has declared all foods clean. Mark chapter 7. Right. So we're dead to all those things. Now what does that mean for us spiritually? It means that we're free of a whole lot of load. We're free from the load of self. We're free from the stuff that goes through our head. We're free from the sin that wants to imprison us because we're dead to it and we're crucified with Christ. Now this is not easy for us to grasp, which is why I'm sort of laboring the point, because I want you to get it. I want you to apply it. 
I want you to see that as your identity, that you're dead to these things and you have an entirely new life that is life in the spirit, not life in the flesh, and not life in spiritual performance. Okay, so we're, our old self has died, our new self is, is alive and is seated in heavenly realms with Christ. It is no longer I who live. The I that everyone sees, that I see in the mirror, and who seems continuous with my past, that person has died. The real I who was sinless, eternal, and seated in the heavenly realms, this person is alive with Christ. We saw that, and I went, I'll give you one more illustration. So in Romans 7, some of, one, of the most pass, one of the most puzzling passages in the Bible. I'm trying to talk too fast today. I've got so much in my head I want to share with you. I'm tripping over my words. Uh, so in Romans chapter 7, Paul says, It is no longer I who sin, but sin that dwells in me. Now, I wish I could say that to the police officer. Right? Caught on the free. Oh, it wasn't me who sinned. It was sin who dwells within me. I would get in real trouble, wouldn't I? I'd get double the fine. Or locked up in the loony bin. But what's, what is Paul saying when he says this? And you can go through, I was explaining it to a friend the other day. It took me about half an hour on the phone. I'll try and get it through into you in five minutes. Okay? Your old self is dead. That I is dead. It's no longer I who sin. The real I, the real you is sinless. So it's no longer you who sin, but sin that dwells in you. Sin dwells in your flesh and it pops up. Now, I remember the first time I really realized that was when I was at Bible college. Now, before I, went, before I was saved, I was a bit fast with my fists. I was a skinny nerd. I got bullied. I learned karate and, and fisticuffs things. And so if anyone bullied me, I'd whack them, right? And that's the way I got rid of my bullies. Uh, and so I became a little bit addicted to punching people out. This is before I was eight, right? So I had this bad habit. Uh, and so I was at Bible college now, well and truly saved, going into the ministry. And the Bible college was in a rural area. And I was walking down and some friends jumped out and tried to surprise me at night. So instantly my fist came up and I was lining up their jaw. And I go, wait a sec, I shouldn't do this anymore. And I put my hands down and I stopped myself before I whacked them. But how did that sin pop up? It was in me as a memory trace. It was there as muscle memory. It was there as, if you press this button, John does this. Right? It was part of my body. It was part of my mind. It was part of my flesh. I'm quite sure when I get to heaven, I won't punch anyone out. Right? So that was a part of my old dead self that was activated by a threat. Now this happens all the time. Okay, say that your problem before you were saved was cussing, right? And someone threatens you or something and boom, out comes the cuss word, right? It's stored in you, in your brain, on a reflex pathway, stimulus response pathway. Press the stimulus, you get the response because it's encoded in your brain pathways. And so you get this person who used to cuss, they've been really good for a few years, the devil sends someone along to threaten them. And, oh, I, I said that. I, I've lost my salvation, right? <laughs> and the bad word comes out that they didn't mean to come out because that's the flesh, right? But in that case, it's not the person who sinned because they don't want to do that anymore. It's sin dwelling in them that sinned, right? 
They didn't want to say the cuss word. It just came out because it was a stimulus response pathway encoded into their flesh. The devil pressed the stimulus, it got the response. Right? So that was encoded in them. What their will, they didn't, their human will did not want to say that word. Right? But it came out because it was a stimulus response pathway in the body. Right. So sometimes it's not us who sin, but sin that dwells in us that does the sinning. That's pretty weird, isn't it? And I'll say that again. Sometimes it's not us who sin, but the sin that dwells in us that does the sinning. Particularly if your will is not involved. He says, Paul says in Romans 7, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this sin, but I sin. If your will is not involved in the sin, if you didn't plan the sin, if it just came out of you accidentally, it wasn't you who sinned, but sin that dwelt in you that did the sinning. And this can be fear, it can be coveting, it can be a lot of things that are programmed into you. Okay, how do you die to yourself? Uh, I'm just, this is just a few suggestions. Number one, have very few opinions. Uh, and why do I say this? Because the old self, the self-self, is full of opinions. It's chatty. Right? And they've got an opinion about this politician or that politician or the referee or the Lakers or the other football team or this. And, and it's the self is loud. The self is opinionated. The self, da, 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 and not, not, does it, not only does the self have its own opinions, it has opinions about other people's opinions. So they've got this opinion and we've got that opinion, so they're bad for having their opinion over there. And around and around it goes on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and, and people are yapping because they have too many opinions. Uh, so I real, earlier this year I realised that Facebook was wasting my time and... I was getting people criticising me and it was playing stories in my head and I really didn't want it, so I completely deleted it. I didn't just deactivate it, I deleted my whole account, 4,000 friends, everything, gone. Because I didn't want to get in the world of having opinions and having opinions about opinions. It was not helping me spiritually, so I cut off the hand that was causing me to sin, sort of thing. I said, no, I, I don't need that in my life. So we have to watch the number. We can, you're, of course you can have opinions in your professional area. If you're an architect or a doctor or a, or a nurse or someone like that or a dentist, you have your professional opinion that's different. But you know the difference between a professional opinion and the opinion that's just you burbling on. Right? And you need those opinions that are just coming out of your flesh. Uh, you need to be silent and to silence yourself down a little bit. Slow down and do not be in a hurry. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. Why is this? Because what happens when you're in a hurry? You become impatient. You lose patience, don't you? After a while, you lose kindness. Why is that person so slow? You're becoming unkind. You're thinking bad thoughts. You're going in reverse direction. You're going into the flesh, not into the spirit. After a while, you lose love and you lose graciousness and you go through all this list of the spirit and finally you lose self-control and you're hitting the horn on your car and you've quickly thrown out all nine fruit of the spirit just by being in a hurry. Hurry is incredibly spiritually destructive. It causes us to say and do and think things that we should not think. And so... 
I have to slow myself down because I'm type A. I like being in a hurry. I like pushing things along. I don't like being slowed down. Uh, and I have to learn to slow down and move at God's rhythm and God's pace. This is particularly true if you're in a foreign country where people have a different sense of time. When I was in the General Santos City in Mindanao, there's a particular board member who would deliberately come two hours late to meetings because he thought he was so important. And the most important person comes last, and he would deliberately arrive to a... Now, here am I, type A, Australian, white guy. He's two hours late. <laughs> right? Uh, this, is, this, this is kind of a sanctifying experience for me. So, to put it mildly. Right? So, you have to change your perception of time. You have to... Uh, to slow down and be in a hurry. Focus on the solution, not the problem. Jesus always focused on the solution and not on the problem. When we fo focus on the problem, we very quickly tend to end up in the, in the flesh, whereas we focus on the solution, uh, we tend to end up in the spirit. Say you have a bad relationship. Someone in your life, let's say at work, is treating you badly. They're, they're being rude to you. They're being discourteous. They throw work on your desk and say, get this done. Right? And you have, like, and every day you dread seeing that person. Right? They, they, you're, you're, and your mind starts to focus on the problem. And you go to negative places. I'm going to resign. I'm not going to put up with them. I'll find another job. I'll show them. Right? Or you go, well... I'm, I'm going to get them back. One day I'm going to blow up and I'm going to tell them what I think. Right? Of their and your mind gets involved in stinking thinking. You focus on the problem and you go towards the flesh pretty quickly, don't you? Right? So when you focus on the problem, you tend to overanalyze, you tend to worry, you tend to fret, you tend to move away from faith and into fear and into all the bad things that come along. Right? But Jesus focused on finding the solution and commanding that solution into existence. So when Lazarus died, his good friend, he didn't come on and say, well, why did Lazarus die? Did you feed him the wrong thing? You know? What happened here? He didn't go into a big medical analysis of why Lazarus died. He focused on the solution, said this is for the glory of God. Lazarus, come forth. Boom, Lazarus is raised from the dead. Right? We see the storm on Lake Galilee. And the disciples are in the boat. And the winds and the waves and all this kind of thing are happening. And they're focused on the problem. Don't you care, oh Lord, we are going to die. We're all going to drown, right? So they're going to a not very good place spiritually. Jesus, with his very kind and tactful way, says, Why are you worried, oh ye little faith? And, which I would have really got annoyed at if he'd said that to me. <laughs> right? Because I used to do sailing and I know what it's like to be in the storm. Uh, and so, you know, he says, oh, what? And then he says, waves be still. And boom, they're still. Because he focused on the solution and had the power to bring the solution about through faith. As we focus on the solution, things get better in our life. Now, just imagine someone's driving along the road and they're a problem-focused person. We'll call this person problem-focused Pete. And problem-focused Pete gets a nail in the tyre. He is outraged that he gets the nail in the tyre. He calls his lawyer, he calls the media, he has a whole committee on nails on roads. He wants legislation to ban nails on roads, right? So two weeks later, he's still there 
by the side of the road with a flat tyre, holding press conferences, and he hasn't got home. Because right? problem-focused Pete is just focused on his own anger, his own flat tyre, his own indignation, and he's getting nowhere in life. Now, let's say the same thing happens to solution-focused Sam. Solution-focused Sam gets a nail in the tyre, he gets out the jack, he changes over to the spare, and he's on the road, and he's home in 20 minutes. Right? Because he's solution-focused, and he says, oh, this is just a bump in the road, this is just something that happened, I can deal with this, I can make this happen, it's not a big deal, I don't have to get wound up over it. So when we focus on the solution and on God's capacity, on our capacity, we see things as little bumps in the road and not big dramas, then we die to ourselves, and ourself is crucified. Another thing that helps me is to remember the size of the universe. Self wants to think it's the only object in the universe. Self wants to be on the throne. Self wants everyone, come here now, right? I, I took a funeral a little while back uh, for some people uh, and these people uh, were the sort that command pastors, you know? Oh, we want you here, we want you there. It was very uncomfortable, right? So sometimes you, this is people I didn't know, the church didn't know, they just needed a funeral done. So when you go into those situations and they're haughty and they're woof, 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 right? They are believing that self is on the throne. They want the whole universe to jump after them. Right? And, but the universe is bigger than you. And it's bigger than me. And it's bigger than everyone else. And it helps to remember that God is God. And he runs the universe quite well without us having to tell him what to do. And that we, ju we just need to be our own little creaturely self, living by faith in God... And not worrying about it because God's in control. It's a big universe. We're not at the center of it. We will come. We will go. We will have our time. Then we will go to heaven. We'll receive our reward and our inheritance and so on and so forth. Right? It's, it's not a big deal. Life isn't a big deal. I don't run the world. The world isn't there for me. We remember the size of the universe and self just shrivels up. Right? Shelves will shrivel up when you do that. Let God's love control you and be kind. Be kind to people. If it, the self, your old self, is by nature cruel. You mightn't believe that, but it is. It has these moments when it spits out stuff and does stuff and wants to be in command. And as you develop kindness, as you develop thoughtfulness and graciousness, then the old self, the bad self... The negative self, the self that needs to be crucified, will die because you will be serving others. You'll have a servant heart. Right? And as an Australian, we're pretty good at sarcasm. So one of my disciplines is to be to get sarcasm out of my mouth and to make kind words come out instead. Because sarcasm is coming from the old self, but kindness and graciousness come from the new self. So I let God's love control you. And lastly, let the water flow under the bridge. When you've had a trouble, when you've had a conflict, when you've had something that's happened at work or at home or at church or wherever, you say, well, that's water under the bridge. That's water under the bridge. I'm not going back to that. I'm not bringing last Thanksgiving back to my mind. I'm not bringing Monday's offence back to Tuesday. We're just going to let that be water under the bridge because the self gets indignant. 
you know. I, I, I know one guy who, who's still offended about something that his 15-year-old daughter did 20 years ago. Still brings it up with her. Can't let go of it because she disrespected him. Now, you've got to let go of that stuff. Those times when you were disrespected or put down or hurt or injured, it's water under the bridge. Let it go by. Life has its bad moments. We all have our bad moments. We have times when we're rejected, insulted, hurt, betrayed. Times when relationships break up in unfair ways or we're fired from a job in unfair ways. Where people gossip about us and somehow at some point we have to say, that's the past, it's water under the bridge. Because the self, your old self, wants to drag it back. Right? Your uncrucified self wants to drag it back. It wants justice all the time. You don't get justice in this life. I'm sorry to tell you that. You're never going to correct it. It's never going to be figured out. If you, got, if you missed out on an inheritance or something, that you, or some money that you thought you deserved, it's not coming back. Right? You have to let, live in an imperfect world where justice is imperfect and God will reward you in heaven for your patience in that matter. We have to let it be water under the bridge. Where are we going time-wise? Okay, I knew I wouldn't get through this sermon. Okay, uh, last little point. Okay, this is an exercise I've done here before. I'll do it again. This is my ballpoint pen. Let it represent me or the Christian. And this is the Bible. This is, this is Christ. The Christian is in Christ. Okay, what happens now? Christ dies and we die it with Christ. We die to ourselves, we're crucified with Christ. Christ rises and we have risen to new life with Christ. Christ is seated in the heavenly realms after the ascension. We are now seated in heavenly realms with Christ. Christ returns with thousands and thousands of his holy ones and we return with Christ and we rule and reign with Christ. And we are forever with Christ because we are in Christ. We are so much in Christ that when Paul persecuted the church, Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? When you persecute someone who is in Christ, you're persecuting Christ because you are in Christ. Okay, let's go through that again. The, the believer is in Jesus, is in Christ. We have put, the Bible uses that phrase, in Christ, over and over again, especially in Ephesians. We are in Christ. So, say it with me. I die with Christ. I rise to new life with Christ. I am seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. I will return with Christ. I will reign and rule with Christ for a thousand years. And I will eternally be with Christ. Now, I'm going to skip right through to the last slide because I'm running out of time. Uh, okay, this is your new identity. and the, the, the team can come up. The worship team can come up. We have a new identity. We're a crucified person. We're a God-indwelt person because it is Christ who dwells in us. We're a sacred site because our body is filled with uh, Jesus and is now a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're a person who lives by faith, a person who is loved by God, and someone who Christ has died for. That's all from Galatians 2 verse 20. So we have a new, so I am crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who dwells within me. And the life I now live in the body, which is the sacred site, I live by faith in the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, let's go back to the first slide, Galatians 2.20. We're going to stand up and we're going to read it out again to get it into you so, and your new identity. Okay, uh, there, right, there we are. Stand up. We'll read this out as the worship team comes down and takes its place. Okay. One, two, three. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. One more time. This is your memory verse. Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, well done, class. I'm gonna, let's pray. And if you feel that you need... Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.